Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 49. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. We are closing in on a big birthday. You know what else had a big birthday this week? Bambi. This movie, 77 years old. How wild is that? I know it's one of the early ones, but like 77. I didn't realize it was that old. I know. It's, it, it almost... I'm not going to say it doesn't make sense. Obviously, <laughs> the movie's 77 years old, but I agree with you. We know it's one of the original animated features, but just seeing the number 77 next to it, I guess because we are of an age where we grew up on these films when they were celebrating, you know, their 50th anniversary. And that doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Right. And I feel like you expect it from like Snow White. That doesn't hit you as hard. But- right. This is kind of weird, but let's be honest about something. We're not doing this film because it's the 77th birthday. We're doing this film because you have brought it up in almost every, if not every, definitely every other episode of Monoreal Radio that we have done. I don't know that I've that it's that frequent. Mm. I've brought it up a few times. Mother, mother. And now we finally get to talk about it. Yeah, I'm actually, I got to be honest with you, like all joking aside, I am excited to talk about this movie because I really did love this movie growing up. And I haven't, up until this week, I hadn't watched it in a long time. So it was kind of fun to um, kind of explore it and and discover it again. Yeah, this was a big one in our house too, but it's not one that stayed with me. I mean, really, how much rewatchability does it have? That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, if you've not seen Bambi before, there are going to be spoilers abound yeah. in our review. <laughs> if this is the first time you've tuned in to us, welcome. Um, and make sure you find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Um, but yeah, we, we give a full plot synopsis. Uh, but there's really no way to talk about this movie without spoilers either. Well, we, we spoil every film on Monoreal Radio. Right. It's not anything new. So if you're new this week, go watch the movie first and then go into the back catalog and maybe just listen to reviews of films that you've already seen. And if you've not seen Bambi, please let us know why and how you missed it. Yeah. Again, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Monoreal Radio. Uh, I guess I'll let you take the lead on this one. All right. Here we go. We open in the forest where all of the woodland creatures are heading to the thicket to see the young prince, a newborn fawn named Bambi. Bambi is a curious little deer who never strays too far from his protective mother, 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 sorry, I can't help it, who teaches him of the dangers surrounding them. Throughout the spring, Bambi learns by exploring the forest with his friend Thumper, an energetic bunny, and they also meet Flower, a shy skunk who they befriend. In summer, Bambi is old enough for a trip to the meadow where he meets another fawn, Feline. He also meets his father, the great prince of the forest, who spots man over the hill. The deer run from man and flee back to the safety of the forest along with the rest of the woodland creatures. Winter sets in, and while Flower hibernates, Thumper teaches Bambi to ice skate. After a long, cold winter, the snow finally begins to melt, and Bambi and his mother go to graze in the meadow. Bambi's mother senses man nearby again, and they run back to the thicket, but mother isn't fast enough. And that's about as nicely as we can put that. Bambi's father comes to take him away to be raised with the rest of the stags. 
The following spring, Bambi returns and he, Thumper, and Flower learn what it means to be Twitterpated when they meet their mates. Feline finds Bambi, and though they haven't seen each other in a long time, Bambi falls for her and has to fight off another stag to be with her. Just when things are going great, Bambi's father shows him that man has returned to the forest, and this time there are more. They send hunting dogs out into the forest, who almost manage to get Feline, but Bambi saves her, and during the escape from the dogs, he gets shot. Bambi is down as the fire man has inadvertently started spreads throughout the forest. His father finds him, forces him to get up, and they run through the burning woods to safety on a small island in the middle of the river, where he is reunited with Feline. Luckily, life finds a way, and the circle continues next spring when we meet Bambi and Feline's two little fawns, and Bambi takes his place as prince. How many movies did you just fit in there? As you, many as I could. You got I got The Lion King. <laughs> I got Jurassic Park. Good. None of it was wasted on you. No, not at all. I have to ask, did the plot even make sense? Because as I'm reading through it, it feels like it doesn't. I mean, this film is just so scenic there's really not a story as far as like I mean it has a beginning middle and end sure but I feel like there's not a lot of cause and effect here absolutely right a lot of people will make the comparison to the Lion King but the Lion King the difference between that film and this film First off, there's less than a thousand words of dialogue in this movie yes so there is not a lot of dialogue at all it is action-driven, it's scenic, as you said. Um, this movie doesn't have a lot of motivation behind it, the same way that The Lion King does. Scar kills his brother to become the king, chases Simba away, Simba lives Akuna Matata, finds out what's going on, comes back, fights Scar, vindicates his father, you know, or, or he, you know, he, gets revenge, he gets revenge on Scar for his father's death, and then takes his place, and there's that circle of life with him and Nala. This is more National Geographic-y. There's definitely a lot of parallels to The Lion King, sure, but Lion King is definitely more coming of age, and that's why you get more of the one thing happens that propels the story forward. Yeah, I wouldn't say that the movie doesn't tell a full story. I think do, you know, it, it, even with its lack of dialogue, I think it does tell a full story, but I think that it's it's very much set in realism. I think it's very blunt and to the point of Well, that was the point. And that was the point. We're animals. This is what we do. We're born, we mate, we have our own pack, we, we die. die. <laughs> that, that's that's the literally the entire movie, but I mean this was based on a book. So that was actually surprising to learn. I had no idea. Right. So it pulls from the story, and I think that I don't want to say that the movie. I mean, compared to the Lion King, it feels old and outdated. But that's not to say that it's poorly done. It's not to say it's a bad movie. It's. It's just so different in its approach because it does tell almost the same exact story. It is a circle of life thing. Well, that was what Disney wanted to do. He wanted to make a real movie because what's interesting... Yeah, there's no magic or fantasy behind this, really. Exactly. Other than the fact that the animals can talk. Exactly. But one of, the, I think, the most interesting things that I learned, um, not only was that it was based off of a book, but I think Disney 
came across the book because of his daughter. And then after she saw the film, she was like, you changed so much about this. Why didn't you change the mother's death? Why was right. that the part that you chose to, to leave in? I know. I thought that was hysterical. But the really interesting thing, too, is that this the book was actually optioned for another studio. And I believe the exec's name was Sidney Franklin. And he wanted to do this as a live action film. And when they realized what a big undertaking that would be, especially for the time, he kind of bumped it to Disney. So with that being said, cut to five years from now when Favreau's doing the live action Bambi. I mean, listen, I don't think we need one. No. I don't. I don't Mm-mm. think it's necessary. I, I, I don't. I just don't think there's enough there to make a live action Bambi movie. The Bambi movie that we have is the Bambi movie that we've got, and I, I don't think we need another one. And I think that's why it gets away with having less than a thousand words of dialogue, is because the scenery and the music are what carry this film. Because it's so beautifully done. It's almost there. There's. You can also compare this to Fantasia, too, really, because, yes. you know, we all we know Walt did the silly symphonies and he loved setting the animations to music. But I think this was like that first step because the music is such an important part of it. Yeah, without question. And this was the one that came out. I think this was the one right after Fantasia. I believe it was Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Bambi. They, they, they were definitely, those were the first four. I think Pinocchio came out before Fantasia did. You mean Bambi? No. I, well, yes, it definitely came out before Bambi. I'm saying I think this immediately followed Fantasia. I know they were being worked on at the same time. And you can see where they drew influences from each other in terms of the artwork in conjunction with the score and the soundtrack yeah it it wouldn't surprise me if they had one set to come out before the other and then one was kind of farther along and they just rolled with it because that's happened before it happened with i think cinderella right and obviously and, uh, with beauty the, and the beast with the world war going on there there was a lot that happened <laughs> behind the scenes here we'll it's get a into, miracle this movie even came out it did we're gonna get to all that in a few minutes let's let's stay focused on the script here because there isn't much of it and i think that's why some of the bad dialogue and some of the i haven't used the phrase in a in a long time the 101 screenwriting i feel like that's why it stands out very much in a movie like this because there's not a lot of dialogue. So mm-hmm. the dialogue that you do have, it's easy to scrutinize it. Especially when it's very repetitive. Oh, well, that's, that's the biggest issue I have with the dialogue. Good morning, little prince. Good morning, little prince. Mother, mother, good morning, little prince. It, it, not only does it take me out of it due to how repetitive it is, but it actually, in my opinion slows the movie down. This movie is only an hour and 10 minutes long. It's not to say that the movie is boring. It's not to say that the movie is slow, per se. But the scenes, the individual scenes, at times drag on way too long. Yeah, the whole Good Morning Young Prince sequence, that reminded me immediately of why I haven't watched this movie in so long. Because it almost does get annoying. What stops it from being annoying is 
the animation because Bambi, as he's going through and exploring and running into all these other animals, um, he's just got such a look of curiosity. Like he reminded me a lot of the dog, just how he's into everything and he's sniffing and he's looking and just the facial expression. So that kind of like watching it now, it does at least distract me from the repetitiveness. Yeah. When you look at these animals versus the ones in, say, Snow White, the animation here, the artwork is incredible, and it's noticeably better. It's leaps and bounds better. I mean, I think they were going, even though it was the first feature-length animation, I think with Snow White, they were still going for cartoony woodland creatures. They weren't going for realism. This, they absolutely were. I mean, we've all you know, seen the behind the scenes videos of all the Disney animators referencing from life. But what Disney did to get the animators to really focus on anatomy, like he pulled out all the stops. Yeah. He brought deer into the studio and that wasn't enough because they're still slightly domesticated. They're in a cage. So he sent his team a team of photographers out into the woods to go capture them in their natural habitat. Yeah. The, the, animal, uh, the animal movements are so natural in this, in this film. It really is a testament to Walt Disney and his team of animators, the nine old men and everybody else that worked on it. I mean, the movie, in spite of the fact that it's a very vanilla storyline with, very little going on in terms of script and where there is dialogue it's it's not always all that good like they really did make a movie that for its time was very much cutting edge and again we're gonna get to all of this in a few minutes we are gonna let's finish getting through the little bit of the script here because there's not much else to say there's a couple of things to talk about here but most of most of this review is going to be spent talking about the animation, the controversy. Yeah, there was controversy about Bambi. <laughs> Let's not yeah. lose sight of that. Yeah. Plus all that was going on behind the scenes. Um, I, I love the interaction that Bambi has with Thumper. Oh, Thumper, yeah. Thumper, we all know somebody or had somebody that was like that, where Thumper's older. He he knows the tricks of the forest. He knows how to talk. He's a little bit of a wise guy, a little bit of a troublemaker. We all had that kid in the neighborhood that was like not too cool to hang out with the little kids. You know what I'm saying? And you sort of looked up to them. He kind that, of shows you the ropes. Yeah. So I kind of, to me, that's what that's who Thumper is. And I think because that's the case, I think. Basically, every character in this movie, in this movie, in terms of you as an adolescent, especially if you had the the good fortune to see this as a child, I think that in spite of the fact that they're animals, they do come off as very relatable. Absolutely, especially what I always liked about Thumper was his disregard for the rules. Yeah, and his mother is always trying to remind him of what his father taught them. And Thumper just couldn't care less. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to eat that flower. Yep. You know, and we've all had a flower. You know what I'm saying? Somebody that maybe didn't 
I don't want to say didn't fit in, but didn't fit the mold and somebody that was sort of an outcast, but that but your crew took him in. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wanted to hang out with him because he's a skunk. Even Friend Owl, when they get older, and he's talking about them becoming uh, Twitter-pated, he's like, yes, and even you, because it's like you're, you're not all that attractive because you're a skunk. You have that skunk odor, but yes, Your job even is you. to repel. Yeah, but even you, yes, even you will become Twitter-pated. So I just think that, you know, down to a very human level, these characters are characters that you can relate to. And I think that that's the brilliance of most of these Disney films, especially the early ones, especially the early ones, because they took very special care to make sure that, yes, the artwork was beautiful. Yes, they wanted to be cutting edge. Walt Disney created the special effects department, essentially, because of this film. Right. But they really do try to put you in the same shoes as the characters you're watching on screen so that you can connect to them. I think they did do that really well with the whole Twitter-pated scene, too. Um, And I'm sure, you know, being a guy, you probably relate to it more, but I always just thought it was a funny scene because Bambi Thumper and Flower haven't seen each other in a while. They come back, obviously, their voices have changed, they've deepened, they're adolescents now, and essentially owl is sort of giving them like that birds in the beast speech but it's a lot less awkward because he's just talking about falling in love but it is you know part of the facts of life and he's laying it out and i'm i'm almost surprised that it wasn't more of like a bro speech from thumper because of all the fatherly advice that he gets and passes on so i'm kind of surprised that it didn't come from him yes and no i mean they're adolescents what does he know he doesn't know anything. Oh, he's a bunny. Well, yeah, you but it doesn't mean that he knows. He, but he doesn't mean he knows anything. And in fact, again, they are every group of friends that ever existed. Nope, not going to happen to me. Five minutes later, yes. they're all paired off. Yep. They're all paired off. And I love that whole little sequence. Yeah, because it's like they slowly get picked off one by one. First it's Flower, then it's Thumper, and then it's Bambi. And Bambi is so annoyed that he's like the last man standing. Yeah, <laughs> until he sees Feline again. Um, and I, I do like Feline. I like her from her introduction where she's she's the one that's outgoing. I mean, for all intents and purposes, she's very much pursuing him. Right. Similar to, again, the Lion King. It's Nala, when they're older, pursuing Simba. It's not the other way around. There is that role reversal here. And when they do fall in love, that sequence is straight up, can you feel the love tonight? They're like frolicking and it's dark and the stars are glowing. And yeah, we're we're an Elton John song away from being, can you feel the love tonight? Yeah, except when they meet each other for the first time, all I can think about is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer when Rudolph <laughs> sees Clarice. For some reason, I don't know why, but that's she kind of... She thinks I'm cute! Ex- exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And Nala doesn't have to fight off Pumbaa to be with Simba. That's the other difference. Yeah, but I, I do like that the movie captures adolescence very well. And I like the fact that the whole Twitter-pated thing, it's, it's not just 
showing how they grow up. It's not just showing that circle of life. But the brilliance of this entire thing is that it's in the spring. They make sure to tell you that it's in the spring. Mm. So it also works as a narrative to drive the story forward in its timeline. Well, I think... You know, spring obviously is always associated with a rebirth, but I think it was also really smart because Bambi did just deal with the death of his mother. So now this is kind of like, this is also a big difference with The Lion King is that Bambi never really grieves. And I don't know if it's because he doesn't understand what happened because his father doesn't say, oh, your mom got shot. She's dead now. It's your mother can't be with you anymore. And he sheds a tear and then we go into the next scene, which is springtime. So I kind of think that was the storyteller's way of kind of, no pun intended, softening the blow for the audience because, you know, you you do need some kind of relief after such a heavy scene. And it, you know, it's, it's the natural progression. The mother was shot in the winter. Now it's the spring and they've grown a little bit. And, you know, I there is more of a passage of time, though, I think. I think so. Obviously, her death is totally heartbreaking. It's one of the worst. It's one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the history of cinema. Of course. When you've seen it for the first time. But to me, it stretches on too long. If... He didn't need to say mother more than three times before we know what's happening. I just felt like it it just became too much. And that's why mother, mother, mother. That's why like I do it jokingly, but it has become parodied so many times because it goes on for so long. I I don't want to say it makes it cheesy, but I will say that for modern audiences, not so much for audiences then because they'd never seen anything like this before, but for audiences now, I think it kind of becomes, for a lack of a better term, laughable. I actually disagree. Um, because I think, you know, when you see this as a kid, obviously the big thing is the shock value. Um, but what I never realized on early viewings of this film is how much of the story as a whole drives toward the mother's death because, you know, obviously we've talked about this film is about the circle of life and basically it's that life can be, you know, it it's a learning experience and at times it can be beautiful and other times it's dangerous and it's horrible, but you know, love is is you know what gets you through it and that's really the point of Bambi so when you're watching this as a kid I think that kind of gets lost because obviously you're thinking you know you're putting yourself in Bambi's shoes and to think about losing a parent when you're that young is is horrible and you can't really wrap your mind around it but that really is the whole point of the story is that she's protecting him and she's teaching him how to survive and then he loses that and I didn't realize how late on in the movie like how much time he actually gets with her I always thought it happened so much earlier in the movie and then 
the story is him growing up without her, but that's also where it really differs from The Lion King because Simba grows up and he's got to figure it all out on his own with the little advice he'd got from Mufasa. Bambi, he did have a year or so with her and and then he loses her. Yeah, I think that there were more lessons that she was able to teach him than Mufasa taught Simba just based on the pure amount of time that they had together. Um, I think the other thing, too, is most people associate Bambi as as a child, not necessarily as an adult. He's a baby deer. He's not an adult deer. He's not a stag. And I think that that kind of helps explain your opinion that you had assumed that the mother had been... Um, killed off earlier in the film and that he was on his own for a long time right learning on his own learning from flower learning from thumper learning from the um the other the the gray prince i think they called him the great prince great prince his father right but yes you myself included i forgot how much she was in this film how much time he did get with her um but, you know, in all, just in terms of the script, it does come full circle. We don't have The Lion King without it. I really don't think that we do. But it's more, as I, I had said it before, it's more nation, National Geographic. It's more, no, these are animals and this is what this is how animals behave. And this is the timeline of an animal's life. It's just cut and dry. It's black and white. I mean, it's in color, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and it's kind of just there. I, there's no creativity to it other than the artwork, of course. Right. Um, and you know what's interesting? Like, they're just not, they're trying not to get cute. That's my point. It's not that the movie's not creative. It's incredibly creative. They're just not trying to be cutesy with it. There's no fairy godmother. There's no singing animals. You have music, but the animals are not, not singing. not a musical. And I think that would have been a huge disservice to the film. Yeah. If they had done it as a musical. I agree. You know, I I don't need a, a, a mother ballad. No. From Bambi after it happens. You know, it's interesting, too, that I never realized. And I, maybe I, I, I did, but just never kind of put the two and two together that Bambi actually does get shot. And I, I guess that's it, because as a kid, you're you're just so obsessed with the idea that he lost his mother and that's that's like the whole thing and obviously like you said this film has been parodied so many times with that scene that's the big takeaway but after he gets Feline away from the dogs they're they're running away and he leaps over you know from like one mound of rocks to another and he gets shot in the process and you hear the gun go off but I guess I never realized, like, I guess I thought he took, like, a bad fall. And and I thought the gunshot, because you hear it go off, was, like, a narrow miss. But I didn't realize until this viewing, the way that he, like, arches his back, that he actually gets hit. Oh, yeah, because he goes totally limp. Right, but you, you don't see blood. That's also why they... It, I don't want to say it gets glossed over, but we don't see blood in a Disney film until The Black Cauldron. They never put it in. Right. So I just I never realized it. 
Right, and you never see the mother either after she's been shot. Same way, you you never see man. You never see man. You see man's camp, but you don't see man. So there's sort of that fear of the unknown. I love that they did it that way. I love that yeah. we don't see a shadow, and I love that um, when you first find out what the danger of man is, we hear the gunshot first before the first time before his mother gets killed and then she explains to bambi what man is and i think if they had done it the reverse where she's like well we have to watch out in the meadow because there might be man here obviously they're they're not gonna you know a deer doesn't know what hunting is they just know that man is dangerous but if they had foreshadowed it in that way it foreshadows her death enough but i think it definitely created more of an ominous tone with what man is Agreed. And the the music that they play when man is in the forest or when man is around, a lot of people have set, have compared it to Jaws. That's exactly what I was thinking. Because it's, it's not some huge score. It's just a couple of morose notes. And that's, again, the fear of the unknown. You never see it, but you know that you know that that villain is there. And interesting that that, I mean, man is the villain in this movie. Sure. It, there's no, there's no stag. I mean, there's a stag fight for Feline and every guy has been there. We've all, again, connecting <laughs> to that adolescence. But um, there's, there's no villain that's trying to take out Bambi for the sake of being powerful, for the sake of being the prince or to win the girl. It's interesting that they chose the hunter, but again, they were very much going for that realism. Well, it's not just the hunter, but it's also the forest fire. I think that's definitely a metaphor for the red know. flower. <laughs> I was going to say for man destroying the earth, but sure. Yes. The red well, flower, I mean, that too. Yeah. Teaches kids don't play with fire. We know that these early Disney films, they were out there to teach children a lesson. Mm. Obviously, don't play with fire is a big one. It's definitely a big one. Right. Um, so we mentioned that little you know, song, for lack of a better term. It's not really a song, but for Score. the... Score. Yeah, we'll call it as such. A um, couple of songs in this film before we move on to the animation itself and the production and, and all of that. There's only a couple of songs here. The, the, the song that opens the movie is uh, Love is a Song. <laughs> That's what it's titled. It's angelic. It's got nice lyrics, sets up that kind of woodland creature, and it's sort of, as I said, angelic and peaceful and happy, and it just paints a nice picture to start the film. And again, it really sets up going for the jugular <laughs> a half an hour later. Very true. What I like about it, though, is if you took the, the song out of the movie, I could see that being a radio hit. It's yes. very much of the time. Mm-hmm. The next song is Little April Shower. Again, the like, earworm. It's the earworm, but it again drives the story forward in the timeline. That sequence is so crazy beautifully done though. Yes. With what they did with the the drops of water and the rain special effects which we will get into in a moment. Right. Um let's sing a gay little spring song. It's more narrative. That's a th these a lot of these songs. They're not things you're going to hear in the park. They exist to push the film forward in the timeline. They act 
as the script. They act as the dialogue. Um, in fact, there are only two times in this entire film when there's absolute silence, and that is when man is in the forest. And, you know, the first time being when Bambi's mother explains man is in the forest and the dangers that come with that, and then, of course, her death. Otherwise, there's music throughout this entire film. And I think that for a film that was so musically driven in terms of, again, and I'm, I, I hate to repeat myself, but there's not much that you could talk about in terms of script or music, but it does help in moving the film forward. So the fact that you've got it playing hand in hand with the animation, that's the other thing too. The music mirrors what you're seeing on the screen. Absolutely. And they did that intentionally whether it be the score or something that carries lyrics. This was almost scored like a silent film. Yes. So to have that and then to cut music completely made it very powerful, made those scenes very powerful, her death and her explaining man in the forest. Well, that's that's like what I was saying before, is that not only did I realize that the film drives towards the mother's death, but where you're saying mother, mother drags on, I think it's so much more impactful. Obviously with the silence, yes, that does lend itself to making that whole scene more sad, but I, I think you needed it just to put that, you know, punctuation mark on the end of that sentence. And it worked. It, it definitely worked. All right, let's talk about the animation and the production here because clearly that is what makes this film so special, I think. Especially because this was a Walt film and I love geeking out over all of his advancements. The multiplane camera is evident literally from the start. Absolutely. And I think to this day, it still looks incredible. It really does. The fact that they were able to pull this off 77 years ago, I said it before, is a testament to Walt Disney, his nine old men, and everybody that worked on this film. Yeah. No question about that. I think that Bambi's first steps look great. That's a really tough task for an animator nowadays to imitate reality. To do it when they did it, and to do it as well as they did it, is mind-blowing. Same with Thumper's foot. Not only his foot, but his nose. Yeah. The way his nose twitches and he sniffs. Like, it's so... It's, all of it is totally lifelike. But his, his foot is going at, like, warp speed to a point where... And I, I couldn't find this anywhere if they animated it or if they actually sped up the camera. When Bambi is born, it's so heartwarming. And, of course, it really sets up going for that jugular. But everything is in the eyes. Mm-hmm. Everything is in the eyes. And I think that they conveyed so much confusion, curiosity, fear, just in the eyes. Well, they used a baby. Right. That was their inspiration. Aside from the deer to get the anatomy, they used the facial expressions of a baby to get Bambi. And that was a brilliant choice. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I always I always thought dog, but once I learned that, I was like, okay, yeah, I can really see that now. We talked earlier about how the quote-unquote 
special effects are cutting edge because this was like one of the first times a quote-unquote special effects department had really been assembled. Mm. Um, The things that they did to make this look as real as possible, it could only come from the mind of Walt Disney. Yeah, it it was things that never even occurred to me that they would do in animation. Like, for example, in winter, they have the heavy snowstorms, so they actually use cornflakes for that instead of obviously having to animate every little every little flake. Right. And I, they, they whited them out or did a negative or something to lighten them. Yeah, because um, normally, you know, if you're, like, actually on a film set, they're using, like, mashed potato flakes or something like that, but you need something that's going to show up on the camera. This, I, I think it, I believe it was a negative because if you sprinkle the snowflake, yeah, they're going to be darker, so you would have to negate it. The other thing, too, is that a mashed potato flake wouldn't necessarily work because you're in the forest, you're in the woods. I think they're trying to convey the winter is harsh, the winter is long. And you listen, for us that live in parts of the world where we do see snow, because we have plenty of people that listen that have never seen snow, when you get a really heavy snowstorm in there, those big, thick, oh, heavy you snowflakes, something bigger. you needed it. Yeah. You needed it. And I think that they pulled it off very well here. I love the ripples in the water. That's amazing. And that's something that Disney still does today so well. But they're using the technology from back then. They use they use a ripple glass for the effect. The one the shot that really got me, though, is at the end of the uh, April shower song. Um, it it the camera like zooms out from Bambi and his mother in their like den in the thicket. And then it's zooming out to the forest. So you definitely see the multiplane camera at work because you can see all the layers and it, it has that almost, it, it has the depth. That's what the, the effect that the multiplane camera does. It almost, um, it's not necessarily a 3d effect, but it, it's what gives it that foreground, middle ground, background look. But then it zooms all the way out and then starts tilting down onto the ripple glass. I really don't know how they achieved it from one to the next because it, it, it's seamless. It's not like they went to another frame. And I love how the raindrops look because what they were doing was they were filming drops of milk and like fr- like freezing them and going frame by frame. And that was how they taught themselves how to do the dimensions properly how to shadow it properly it's just uh, like who thinks to do this well walt disney does well milk was being used for quite some time in lieu of water they did it for singing in the rain because you have to give something with substance that's going to show up on camera but it's just very smart that he made a case study of it to really get because yeah, if if you're looking at water, it's clear you're you're gonna miss things. You're gonna miss movements. This they would film like, you know, somebody would drop something into a bucket of milk, and they would film it in slow motion so they could really see the effect of the milk splashing all over. And that's what they applied here. Right, because with water, you lose dimension, you lose a little bit of detail, you lose the shadowing. So brilliant 
brilliant of them to use that as their benchmark. I also love the reflections in the water because um, you do see, I think, Bam, well, Bambi and Feline, you see their reflections a few times because obviously they're in the forest. But, right, because but the Bambi looks... is, you know, they've said this, the Simba shot was kind of a ripoff when he looks into the water. But it to me, it just looks so natural. Like there are a lot of times where I watch this and I forget that I'm watching animation. Same with the fire. Yes. Definitely the same with the fire. And originally, Walt Disney wanted even more detail in the backgrounds, more detail in the trees and the leaves and the bushes. But the issue that they were running into was that the characters were getting lost. Yeah. So these, a lot of these images are sort of more stylized. Not, not quite as modernized or as it was in, say, um, 101 Dalmatians. Or like the Jungle Book. Or the Jungle Book. Correct. But still, just really, really impressive stuff. And I think that it's still, that I think holds up. And I go so far as to say, I think it rivals a lot of the animation that you're seeing done today. Whether it be 2D hand-drawn, and we're not seeing an awful lot of that. Or I go so far as to say anything you're seeing done by Pixar. Pixar, don't get me wrong, Pixar is incredible, but there's something to be said about doing this by hand and not relying on a computer. And there are some people that are that are screaming at their phone or their, their stereo right now wanting to kill me for saying that because they either draw for a living or they draw as a hobby and they want to be an animator. I'm not trying to put down what you do. But you can't tell me that that anything that you're seeing here, in spite of the fact that the movie is 77 years old isn't incredibly impressive to this day. Absolutely. And that's, you know, to your point before, I feel like eventually we're going to get a live action remake regardless, but it's not going to be nearly as impressive because the whole point is that this film is so hyper stylized. Right. Because of what they achieved with the animation. It's not going to be the same if you spit it out on a computer. Right. 12 minutes of footage ended up on the cutting room floor to, well, not even of footage. It was 12 minutes was shaved off of the film to save money because the studio was losing money hand over fist for a number of reasons. One of the things, actually, that they cut out was you were going to see man killed. Man was supposed to die. At the end of this film, yeah, you were supposed to see the boot in the like in the embers. Yeah, they were overtaken by their fire that they let get out of control, so they sort of reap what they sow, and that's supposed to be part of that lesson that you take away. I'm wondering though why they cut that though. Like that was going too far. Bullets are fine. I guess. I mean, how much how much death could you put in this movie? I mean, in, you know how how much how much imagery did you need? It uh, they got it. They had enough. They had enough of it. Um, and I, I can't wait to discuss the controversy in this film in, in a minute here. But the the studio was losing money hand over fist because number one, the hand drawn animation was very expensive. Pinocchio didn't make its money back. Lost the studio money. Fantasia didn't make the studio their money back. 
they had to go and beg Bank of America for a loan. Walt Disney actually had to basically act out this movie as a one-man show to get the money from Bank of America to make the picture. I would have given anything to see that. But it it's not just that. I mean, you're not only fighting to fund a movie that is very difficult to explain. Um you know, it's it's funny. I love seeing all those behind the scenes stuff, like especially for Lion King when they're doing their storyboard meetings and they're they're going through line by line and song by song. But like this to have to explain it when it's not a musical and you don't get to see like a happy, upbeat number. He must have given some presentation coupled with the fact now that war has broken out. So money's tight to begin with. And there was also the strike at the studios during this time right so like we said before it is a miracle that this film got made right you had the animator strike that slowed down production on everything so of course now you're just pumping more money and more money and more money in to make up for the lost time but because the country because the world is at war it's world war ii the military takes over the studio which walt didn't mind doing he let them use the studio as basically another military base, but you're also not getting foreign distribution anymore. And right. now people don't have money to go to the movies. Exactly. Exactly. It's just there's so much going on because people are buying war bonds and they're donating and, and yeah, they didn't have expendable income to go to the movies. Right. And they're losing the foreign box office. Like there's so much happened around this film that Again, we can't stress enough the fact that this film actually saw the light of day is a miracle. In retrospect, and only in retrospect, the controversy around this film is almost laughable. By that I mean this. This movie, I believe it was AFI, ranked it as the number three animated film of all time. Is this a recent list? Recent list. Okay. It it certainly deserves its accolades. Time magazine puts it on this is this is true. It ranks whether you agree with it or not as one of the top 25 wait for it horror films of all time. I have heard that before. Because so many people were traumatized by the fact that the mother had been shot that they actually say it lingered with them 30, 40, 50, 60 years after they saw it. And in the eyes of some, this ranks as a horror film. Now, the imagery with the fire... Obviously, you see the uh, the pheasant get shot, and she's annoying. She should have just stayed on the ground. Oh, and, my and, and God. what do they tell her? Don't fly. I can't take it. And then boom. Also, coincidentally, because it wasn't bad, it wasn't bad enough to get shot once. She had to get shot twice. the The voice actress that voiced Bambi's mother also voiced the pheasant, so she got shot <laughs> twice in this movie. Twice. Um, but the imagery it's it stayed with people. In retrospect, that to me is laughable because in reality, a lot of this movie is very tame, but 
they never saw anything like this before. And that's the thing. For people that want to sit there and rag on... Listen, and I rag on it with the mother, mother, mother. But I, but, but that's, that's all in good fun. That's all in jest. I don't rag on this movie for the sake of... And I don't think that the movie is worthy of being ragged on. I think that to do so is to do so unfairly because you need to understand that this was cutting edge in terms of animation and in terms of story. This there was no precedent for this. This this did this did not exist before. It didn't exist. But that's exactly it. I don't think that people were expecting someone like Walt Disney who now has a reputation Think about what came out before this, Snow White, Pinocchio. They think they're going to see one of these lovely, magical Disney animated films. They didn't know what they were getting. Critics hated this movie upon its release and called it Disney's folly. They thought this was going to end Walt Disney's career. Now this movie has gone on in re-releases and home video release to make over a quarter of a billion dollars. And now it's beloved by everybody. But... It was viewed as being very dark the same way that because, you know, I love to work Batman in where I can Batman Returns, which came out in 1992, I think it was either 91 or 92. I want to say it was 92. It was the one with Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito. Yes, it was panned by critics upon its release for being too dark. Now, when you watch a Batman film, they're all very dark. And in retrospect now, they're saying that Batman Returns is one of the best Batman films that they ever made. I tend to agree, but I always liked that movie. I always liked it. I I like that it it looked like a cartoon. Albeit dark, but... But that's why Burton was no longer on that project and they brought Joel Schumacher on. They needed someone that was going to be, quote-unquote, safe to make a superhero movie. I think that that parallels this very well. I think this movie, for its subject matter, for its animation, and for the way that it conducts itself, was ahead of its time and people weren't ready for it. People are ready for it now. They've been ready for it for quite some time. That's why you're starting to see, and that's why you have seen in later years, for many years after the film's release, why it's starting to get its accolades and why and why the critics love it. Total 180 from how they felt about the movie when it came out. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I think that people were just going to see this, especially in light of, you know, you're in the middle of a war. If you're going, if you're so fortunate to be able to afford to go see a movie, you're looking for a means to an escape. You probably don't want to hear gunfire and see the loss of a parent when you're going out for a night to enjoy yourself. But to call it a horror film, I think that's a little extreme. I totally believe that that's extreme. I mean, extreme. you could make that argument for The Wizard of Oz, that a little girl comes into town and she kills the first person that she sees and then teams up with three men to kill again. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah, I, I think to call it a horror film is a little extreme, but I'm also not going to minimize that people were actually traumatized by this because they never saw it before. This was so new, and as you pointed out, you wouldn't expect to see it in a Disney film. No. But 
whatever. Be Go that read as the book. May. Be that as it may, um, I, I do think that that's where some of the controversy you have to laugh at. And Walt Disney took a ton of flack. And not unjustly, I shall say, in my opinion, from the hunting community at large. Now, look, I'm not a hunter. It's not for me. But I'm not going to attack somebody if that's their thing. As long as you're not one of these people that's going into some refuge, some animal refuge, and shooting an endangered animal or something that's protected. I have plenty of friends who hunt. They make pelts. They do it for food. They're not just out there to kill something for the sake of killing something. Now, I'm sure that there are people that are out there, and that's what they do. I can't speak to you, but I also don't know who you are, so I'm not going to put you on on blast. I'm not certainly going to put you on a pedestal. But I do think that they were unjustly vilified for a long time after this movie, to the point where there were some hunting publications that spoke out against the film, spoke out against Walt Disney as a person, Disney as a company, because all of a sudden they went from, hey, I'm going hunting next week. Okay, great. To, hey, I'm going hunting next weekend. How dare you? You shot Bambi's mother. No, and this is where it gets comical because that that's almost how society is today. It's like where you can't do anything anymore without extreme backlash. Right. So, I mean, I get it. Again, they were going for realism. And in a real-life scenario, these are sort of the villains and predators that animals need to worry about. But I I do agree with the fact that people that are out there and are hunting for more than just sport, you know, I I think It goes back to the circle of life. Right. This is about survival for some people. Right. So to to make them villains and, and to put them on blast whether inadvertently or not, is unfair. And I understand why Disney took the backlash they did for that. Right, no, and especially because we really, we know when this film came out, but we are not, we don't really have the context of what time period this is supposed to be. If you're talking about the pioneer era, then yeah, this is about survival. Right. So, I mean, like you said, I don't know, and I'm not going to pretend to know. It just is what it is. Um... Talking about characters here, um, they're fun. I, I mean, it, it's Bambi and Thumper and Flower and Feline and the mother. I, to me, th- there's just not an awful lot there. We talked earlier about how much we liked Thumper. To me, I think Thumper's the hero of this film. To, just to me. I like Bambi for how inquisitive he is. I like Bambi for how he does grow up. So that's a thing. Everybody, except Flower, really, sort of have character growth moments. Flower's character growth goes from, I'm never going to be Twitter-pated, to I'm Twitter-pated. Yeah. But that's it. It's, it's very basic. At least the rest of them, you see them grow up, and again, to keep taking the phrase from The Lion King, they assume their role in the circle of life. Right. But other than that... Not much to dissect here in terms of characters. Yeah, I think for me, this is one of those films where 
the character it's kind of like that Alice in Wonderland effect where the characters are greater than the story and that's what you like about this movie yeah more so than the tale itself so with that said do I like the movie yeah absolutely I think it was a visual and technical achievement for Disney I think the film is stunning I think the music is fantastic uh rewatchability for me though not the first one I'm going to pick off the top of the pile if I want to sit down and see a movie. And, and I think part of that has to do with it not being a musical as much as I do like the score. Uh, but this is not really a feel-good movie, you know? <laughs> like, if if I want to watch it, it's because I'm, I want to watch Bambi. And I think that really does come from the characters, though. Yeah, the film... it may not tell as full a story again as Lion King because it doesn't have that power struggle, it doesn't have a motivation it doesn't have an evil villain that you can see but it is coming of age as I stated before the risk of being repetitive it is set on it, it is set in realism at times it's not paced well I think that we talked before about things that dragged on, even the scene where Bambi is slipping on the ice that goes on for a lot longer than I remember it as a kid. But with all that being said, I think that the the child actors are really good. I do like the fact that um, Bambi poetically takes his place as the prince as his father steps down. The older I get, the more I do relate with Friend Owl. Um, <laughs> but in all, everything you said, technical marvel, incredible achievement, phenomenal artwork... It is a classic. Do I think it holds up? I do think that it holds up. But I think that a modern audience, a, a child who's used to seeing things like Toy Story, even The Lion King, Aladdin, I think that they need to go in there with an open mind. I think to a child who has never seen this before, who's only seen these more cutting-edge Disney films, I think this is going to fall flat. But I don't think that it should. I agree 100%, almost to a point, well, almost to a point that I disagree because I'm not sure if it holds up. I think this is going to be a hard sell to a child. It could be. But we're interested to hear what you guys have to say. Do you think the film holds up? Do you show it to your children? On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Monoreal Radio, some news this week. Disney is now jumping on board the live musical television broadcasts that we've seen uh, from Fox and uh, NBC. And interestingly enough, they're doing The Little Mermaid. And Interesting I, timing. I just don't understand. Listen, I don't mind that they're doing it. I'm not bothered by the fact that they're doing it. But they've already announced, a, they're starting to announce the cast for The Little Mermaid live action film that they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So why are we getting a Little Mermaid live-action film and a Little Mermaid live broadcast? To me, it's kind of just one and the same. Yeah, like if they were going to go the live broadcast route, like I'd rather see like The Descendants or High School Musical or something live. Like right. break us in that way. I feel like this is a little too much with the live-action um, 
Or, you know, if they were to do something, you know, like they have Beauty and the Beast in the parks, they have that. They do have Little Mermaid. So if you're going to do it like a stage show, kind of how it is in the parks, I guess I can kind of get behind that. What I'm more intrigued with is the cast for the television live action one. Uh, You've got Shaggy as Sebastian, which I love. Love it. Uh, You've got. Forgive me if I botch this. You will. Olil. Oh my goodness. Olili Cavarlo. Moana. Moana, exactly. Um, She's going to be Ariel. And then Queen Latifah is Ursula. To me, this is your live action cast. And I'm not just saying that because we did our predictions on our very first episode for the live action cast of The Little Mermaid. And one of mine was Queen Latifah. So I'm not just saying that because I enjoy being right. Hey, I had you speechless with my prediction. You can go back and hear. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Ha <laughs> ha. You got to go back to episode number one and listen to it. Um, I thought I hit my cast no, out of the did. park, too. You did. You did. And I could not have been more wrong. Um, I just I don't see this as being necessary. Seeing as we're getting a live action remake, I just feel like they're kind of beating a dead horse here. Yeah. I'd be I'd be more impressed if they did like Lion King as live action to the television instead of the CGI one. You know what I'd rather them do? As a holiday special, do Muppet Christmas Carol. I'm in. Do Muppet Christmas Carol. As a live act, like as as a as a uh, a live on television musical thing. That's such a good avenue for the Muppets. I would rather see that than see you do this this thing that you're going to do again in two years. Right. It's just too much for me. Yeah. But we're interested to see what you guys have to say. You let us know on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Monoreal Radio. Um, Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. We're very excited for next week's show. We're going to be celebrating a big birthday. We've got a very, very special guest joining the show again. So we're just going to leave that there. We're going to tease you with that. This person's also going to tell us about Galaxy's Edge because they got to see it ahead of time. And... uh We're excited to hear what they have to say. If you want to go see Galaxy's Edge, and who doesn't want to go see Galaxy's Edge, we have a means to get you there. Get in touch with me directly through our social media at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.